We'll tell you what, why don't you grab a seat, go ahead and high five your neighbor, tell him you're so glad that you see them today. Lee Kabuhat puts the biggest smile on my face anytime I just look at Lee. Right? <laughs> oh. So Emery is on a plane coming back from Montana as we speak, making her way back. And she, she called last night to tell me that the wedding was just absolutely beautiful. It's really, really special. Um, she loves Montana. Not enough to move there, but she loves it. So that there's a lot, she's like, it's, it's interesting. There is a, yeah, and a lot of buffalo apparently. A lot of buffalo. Inter interesting. Would have, would have never known. But, I'm looking outside, we can say, happy summer, everybody. Not really, right? Kind of. There's so many people going on vacations and holidays right now. Summer's a great time for it. I think summer's a time where everyone's like, you know what, I've been going after it all year, or to this point, and now I just want to take a break, right? How many of you feel like you need a break right now? Only just a few. That's really good. You guys are like ultra high capacity people. My goodness. Either that or people are just lying or you're like, come on, Craig, just get on with it. Start preaching. Now, I wonder if, if any of you are coming in this morning and aside from the lighting and everything going around, I wonder if you're feeling a little tired and bogged down. Does anyone ever feel like you just don't have enough time in the day or the yeah. week, yeah. right? Yeah. Preaching to the choir. How about this? Do you ever feel possibly like you're, you're failing in some areas of life? It's tough, right? Sit there and you look at everything and you're like, oh, I just, I don't have the time. I, I try and prioritize things and it just doesn't seem like things work out and I just don't have the time to do this or that. Certain areas of our life, maybe areas that we wanted to focus in on, are being impacted because of our schedule, maybe because of work, maybe because of study, whatever it may be, right? It seems like it always happens this way, that when we focus in on everything else and we be, you know, we're responsible and we're trying to move forward and progress and be productive, that there's these other areas that really start to suffer. And they become more and more apparent and we want to switch things around and change things around so we could you know, attend to them and give them the attention that they need, but it's like the week already went by. And I was planning on doing this. I think a lot of what some of us are going through, maybe all of us are kind of experiencing in one shape or another, is that we're running this race of life at this ridiculous speed, like way too fast, but for way too long. And we feel it. I do. I've been going through it for months now. Not that this is Craig's confessional, but I'm going to be straight up with you. It's, the struggle is real, right? Even with my, my walk with God, I feel like there's certain seasons where God wants more of us and he's calling us into more and there's more available, but then like we try and make time for it. But I don't know about you, but a lot of times, sometimes my, my time with God is agenda driven. Like, God, I, wanna, I really need to be encouraged about this, or God, I need this, or God, I need that, or God, I'm preparing for Sunday and speak to me. And I come in with this agenda, and then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I think I got it. Thanks. Thanks, God. See ya. 
Or it's Saturday and I'm like, what just happened to my week? What happened to my week? Jesus, I wanted to have this time with you this week and it's already gone. And it really hit me because a lot of you know the, the health challenge that we've been through as a couple, Anne-Marie and I recently, where we had a bit of a health scare. That was the wake-up call. I think for me personally, it was a big wake-up call. I didn't want to go through it. I didn't want to experience it like that. But in some ways, I actually needed something like that to kind of snap me out of it. Because I'm going, going, going at this speed. And I'm like, but God, I got you. We have to, God. It's like, we need to keep going. We're going to see fruit. We're going to progress, God. We're going to move forward. And I want to move forward in all these areas in our life and accomplish these things. And then all of a sudden, it's like, whoa. I'm pushing for all these things for what? What's really important to me? What do I really value when it comes down to it? I started to experience certain areas of my life were suffering and weren't getting the attention that they deserve. I think that if we, I had a whiteboard up here, I haven't preached with a whiteboard for a long time, I'm gonna have to break that back out. <laughs> it's over here. It's probably because my drawing is horrible. <laughs> but if we had a whiteboard up and say we're able to draw what our schedules, our lives look like, I think for a good portion of us, it's going to look really erratic, like a graph going all over the place, right? Schedule highs and lows all over the place, all over the place. And then some of us, some of us are like, oh yeah, no, my mind would be way more consistent. Yeah, it'd be this line going across because it's just full, 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 no rest, nowhere. Full, 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 full. Looks great because it's even, but below the surface, fuel is running low. You're running dry, straining to continue on with that pace. I don't think life's supposed to be like that. I think instead of this, like, erratic schedule, emotion that we go through, these highs and lows that we're constantly, you know, frequently going through, I don't think it's supposed to be like that. I almost feel like it should be like, instead it should be like this groove, or like a rhythm, a rhythm of life. Instead of just the erratic highs and lows, there's gonna be circumstance because life is life. And we're gonna have those moments but if our life is just chock full with these highs and lows and we're constantly spent on energy levels and everything else and we have no attention for anything except for our phone and we're always on our phone and even when we go to bed, we're on our phone and when we first wake up, we're on our phone checking our notifications and everything else. I'm like, I'm the only one, I guess, right? Figure that. But there's something to be said about living a life as a rhythm. Like Evan, like a flow. There's actually been a lot of scientific research about this, and especially recently it's gaining a lot of notoriety. There's TED Talks, there's, you know, there's podcasts, there's so many books about all of this. In fact, there's a specialist in this area, his name is, bear with me as I try and pronounce this, no, I, think, I, think, I think I have it down around, right, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. I know, right? He's a professor of psychology and management at Claremont Graduate University. And he's actually, he's done TED Talks. He's actually come to really high, like a lot of popularity because this book he's written called Flow. 
See, he's identified this psychological concept, but he hasn't just identified it. He put a name on it, and he pretty simple, plain and simple. Flow. And it's a highly like, focused mental state of living your life. And I have a quote that I wanted to share with you. This is from his book. It says, when a, when a consciousness is harm, harmoniously ordered, a flow experience is so gratifying that people are willing to do it for its own sake with little concern for what they will get out of it, even when it is difficult or dangerous. It's the right combination of yes, no, open space, this flow. And even science is acknowledging it, that there's something with it. And Mihai actually says that this flow is the secret to happiness. Interesting, right? But simply put, the right rhythm is the groove or the flow, for his case. It's this combo. What we say yes to, what we say no to, us actually creating space, open, quiet space, breaking away from the craziness in our schedule and our full schedules, right? Breaking away from it all and taking a moment. Now, although his book, there's a lot of wisdom in his book. Very interesting man, too, if you ever get a chance to listen to him. However, I don't think it's a really a new concept. Not sure it is. In fact, in Matthew 11, 28, I'm going to read the message paraphrase. Jesus actually sends an offer to anyone, any and all. He says, are you tired? Worn out? Burn out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And even says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Just reading that. Learn the unforced rhythms. Unforced no striving necessary. Like on the package where you say batteries not included, striving not necessary, <laughs> striving not included. The unforced rhythms of grace. It's here for you, it's all in this offer. See, instead of leaving us alone to fend for ourselves in this society and where we're giving so much of ourselves to different areas and we're going, 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 Jesus actually gave us the recipe, will you, on how to navigate through this all. He lived his life as a straightforward example for us. He left this efficient model on actually how to live a life of rhythm. I like to call it the art of lingering. That's what we're going to talk about for the few, next few minutes together. Now, obviously, lingering, you hear, some people might hear lingering and think, like, I kind of know what it means, I don't really know what it means, or what the heck kind of context are you using this word in, right? So lingering, Merriam-Webster describes it as to be slow in parting or leaving or quitting something. Slow to act, to linger. Now, 
I want to make sure that we're all on the same page with this because hearing linger, you might think like, oh, it kind of sounds like lazy or you can't make up your mind or something like that, right? It does. But in the context that Jesus lingered, it was much different. See, lingering with Jesus was not passive. In fact, it wasn't being indecisive or how so many of us, and myself included, will use the phrase, well, I'm waiting on God, right? Kind of as our excuse to do anything. Just going to wait. Just waiting on God. Waiting for him. He's going to answer. He'll, he'll make it clear what I need to do, right? Lingering is a conscious decision, though. That's what I want you to understand. Lingering is actually a constant, con- excuse me, conscious decision. Now, looking at Jesus' life, can we all agree that Jesus lived a full life, right? In fact, probably the most influential life ever in history, not probably, it was. Incredibly full life. Like, let's be real. He had three years to save the world. Right? Three years. That's, that's huge. Three years. Chalked everything chalked full in three years. And what was interesting about Jesus is that if you read all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus was never in a hurry. Right? So what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on four stories out of Jesus' life, will you? Which are these biblical examples of Jesus lingering. First and foremost, we're going to go to Luke chapter 2. This is Jesus as a child. So if you have your Bibles handy, why don't we turn over to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 41 through 48. Give me a little head nod, a wave when you're all ready. I think I'm going to have it on, we have it on the screen too. Well, you can look up on the screen, it's okay. All right, verse 41. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12, year old, 12 years old, excuse me, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed, excuse me, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. He lingered. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Just stopping real quick. Like, how do you not notice your son is gone? Right? So in biblical times, apparently at the age of 12, you're treated almost as an adult. And during this, this period of time, during this festival of Passover, there's so many people out there, so many friends, so many family, so many people from your village. So you're going to be kind of roaming around. But even then, they decide to leave and they only, they're like, where's Jesus? Our 12-year-old. It wasn't until a day later, right? Okay, we're going to move on. So when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. They would have been like, boy. Whack! Come here! What are you doing? 
Not like, yeah, imagine they go and they come back and Jesus is sitting there in the temple courts. Now the thing is, is that in these courts, these people talking, they weren't just anybody. Every notable rabbi, the greatest of the great of all the rabbis, the most wise rabbis would have been there for Passover. And they would all meet and congregate in the temple court, in the courtyard. And they would all discuss scripture. But one of the topics, ironically, that they'd always focus in on, the coming Messiah. And there he is sitting at their feet. Interesting, though, that even as a young boy, Jesus lingered. And he stayed back in his father's house. Moving on to our second one. This is in John chapter 2. And a lot of you already know this story. This is where Jesus turns the water into wine. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. On the third day of a wedding, excuse me, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. I could just imagine that. She'd be like, psst, hey, I have no more wine. Come on. You're that or like, some, some of our mothers, I'm, I'm sure mothers wouldn't do this anymore, would probably like come up and grab them by the ear. Come, get over here. You're going to make wine right now for everybody, right? What does it say in verse four? Jesus replies, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not come yet. Well-meaning thing to do, turning the water into wine, but Jesus is saying, my hour has not come yet. Much larger story here. Jesus is saying, there's more at hand. There's timing to this. There's a rhythm to this. Not yet. I'm going to go kind of quickly through these. Our next one. You all with me? Okay, everyone's hanging in there. We're going to go to John chapter 7. Tell you what, we're not even going to, you could turn to John 7 if you want. Mark this if you want to read this later. This is entitled, Jesus' brothers are ridiculing him. His own brothers. The irony, right? James, anyone know James? Jesus' brother? Didn't really believe Jesus was the Messiah at first. Wonder who had the last laugh with that one, huh? So the brothers come around, the festival of tabernacles is coming and they start to give them a hard time and they're like, hey, why don't you go to the festival? Why don't you go out there? And then your disciples could see all the you know, wonderful miracles that you're gonna perform and they could listen to you. Why don't you go and do this? And then Jesus actually responds to them again, just like he did with his mother. He said, my time is not yet here. My time has not yet fully come. Another example, perfectly good thing that Jesus could have done. Why wouldn't he have gone to this as Jewish tradition? But he said, there's a time and a rhythm. He's very intentional about what he's saying yes to and he's giving his yes to, amen? There's a time, there's a rhythm. So I'm gonna linger and I'm gonna hold back. Next. John chapter 11. Is this pace okay for you? Yeah. All right. 
John chapter 11, Lazarus. Anyone know who Lazarus is? All right. So I'm going to give you the quickest summary of this chapter. Probably the most profound. Kidding. So Jesus hears from his friends that their brother is sick, right? And I'm going to read John 11, verse 4, quickly. It says, when he heard, heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that, that God's son may be glorified through it. Okay. So he hears about this and he says, well, it's going to be okay. He won't die. And God's going to get glory for this. God's going to get recognition. Let's go on to verses five and six. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, their brother. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Right? He loves them. So when he heard they're sick, yep, it's cool. Two more days. You guys read that way too easily. He loved them. Here's that he's sick. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of linger. I'm just going to kind of stay back. Two days. Verse six. Excuse me. Verse seven. And then his disciples, or excuse me, then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now, what I want to kind of stop here is they're, they're going on to the next portion. I'm going to kind of skim through this. See, they decide to go back, but they wait, he waits two days intentionally. And then Jesus decides to tell his disciples, he says, our friend Lazarus has gone to sleep. And I'm going to go and I'm going to wake him up. You can make a movie out of this, seriously, because they have the best response. And they look at the disciples, look at Jesus, and they say, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, like, let him sleep. He'll get better then, right? <laughs> Verse 14. Picture Jesus' face, trying to keep you know, a serious look on his face as he's saying this. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So he tells them that they're sleeping, but they don't get it at all. And they think, oh, great, he'll rest up, God, it's going to be perfect. And he's like, no, sleeping like he's he gone. He gone, but it's going to be okay. All right? Are you guys, this is actually funny. There's so much in this. So Jesus and the disciples arrive, and Lazarus has been dead and in the tomb for four days. Four days already. Martha, one of the sisters, runs up to him, and Lord, Lord, if you were here, he would still be alive. He's been in there four days. Like, we sent a messenger. Where have you gone? What's going on? Jesus is like, it's okay. It's all right. Your brother will rise again. And then she even, her response from this is great. It's just like the disciples. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah I, I know he's going to rise again. It's at the, you know, on the last day he'll rise again. Like, I know how that all goes. He's like, no. You guys, making this difficult for me. So let's read verses 41 to 42. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you would always hear me. But I said this. He's like, 
for the benefit of them. Little head tilt. Thank you, Jesus, but for them, right? Benefit of people, <laughs> benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. So a lot of this is like Jesus taking them by the hand. He's like, okay, you guys are not getting this. There's something so much bigger at hand. Like you're not catching on to any of this, but it's okay. I'll meet you where you're at and we'll walk. We'll take baby steps. It's cool. We'll get there. So he wasn't in a rush about all of this. He lingered because he was in communion with God. He was talking with God. He heard from God. He knew what was going to take place. He lingered. He lingered long enough that allowed God to move through him. Not just partner with him and move through him, but look at all the lives that it impacted. Literally, Lazarus, right? Hello. But then all of the disciples as well. It impacted so many people. And the thing is with Jesus, throughout these, all these stories and throughout all the Gospels, you could read, 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 and you'll see that like, it's not like he was hurting for opportunity to come his way. It's not like Jesus was sitting on some beach and like a chair with his sandals off, kicked back, like, oh, I'm loving this rhythm. This rhythm of life, I'm just going to linger on the beach and kick back because like, this is sweet. People were always looking for him. People always wanted something from him, right? They always wanted something from him. And all of that, all of the things that they wanted from him could have been good. It was all positive stuff. None of it was bad. Let's say this again. All that they wanted from him was good, in essence, and it wasn't bad, so it would have been okay to say yes to, but even the good wasn't the right for him. Do we see ourselves in that at all? People vying for our attention, things vying for our attention, good, well-meaning things, but is it what God wants? So he knew that God was at work behind the scenes. Fully trusted God, right? It was all a part of God's plan and God's purpose for him. So lingering in this rhythm was much larger than just these one moment, off moment things. There's something much, much larger. See family, I believe that God has a rhythm for our lives. It's for us to actually walk in and to walk in what he's called us to. There's a rhythm and a grace for that. And there's no striving necessary. But I know you could be asking like, okay, that sounds great. And those stories, I know those and all make sense. Okay, he lingered, I get that. There's a rhythm to things, I get it. But like how, where, right? So before we wrap up, I'm gonna give you three clear areas to linger and help get that rhythm going in your own lives. Now, my disclaimer, this is not rocket science. And some of you have heard these things before. In fact, I'm sure all of you have heard these things before. But there's a reason we're revisiting it because no matter how many times we hear these things, we still need to get back to the basics and put them back in place. Because seasons change, weeks change, lives change, the flow of our life changes, and we need to get back to this place. So the first place where you can linger to get into this rhythm, this sacred rhythm, is reading the Bible. 
Psalm 119.130 says, the unfolding of your words give light, gives understanding to the simple, to the childlike, to all. Gives light and life. These are your words. I'm going to kind of go quickly through this, but I need you to understand, for some of us, when we read scripture, it's really difficult to understand, unless we have like a devotional, like a tool to have alongside and read with us and try and explain it. Something you could do that's so practical and that has helped me so much is slow down. I always have an agenda. I always had an agenda when I was reading scripture. I need to push through and finish this. I want to get this all done for my year Bible plan or whatever it may be. But like, slow down. Take your time. Repeat it. Repeat again. Memorize it. Memorize it until it gets in you. Until some of these verses get in you. Some of these promises of God get inside of you. And then what you could do as well, you could pray scripture. You could recite scripture and use it as a cry of your heart as you pray to God. You could just go straight to God's word and pray some of this over your life over what's going on in your circumstances. Take your time, repeat, memorize, pray it, all right? Linger in God's word. Try not to breeze through it. Linger, take a moment just to hear, be still. Our next area is prayer. Luke 5.16, scripture tells us that, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Even prayer. I know for me, I could, I get through like I know what I want to pray for, I have people I'm praying for and I go through. But maybe if we just lingered a bit longer in our prayer time and try not to end so abruptly we'll actually hear the voice of God. Something we've been longing to do is maybe hear God's voice, but meanwhile, in our prayer life, it goes something like this. Oh, Jesus, thank you that you you love me, God, and I'm praying for our country. I'm praying for these families that have been torn apart, which is amen. I'm giving you a little cheat sheet. You should be praying for this stuff anyways. But then, yeah, you're welcome. So, you have these items, but then we go, okay, thank you, God, and just like an awesome day today, be with me, whatever, whoop-de-whoop, off you go. But what if you just lingered and you stood for a second and you actively just stop to allow him to speak? Because God is speaking, but are you listening? We always have our agenda and we always want to run things off of God and bounce things off of God, but it's a monologue that we turn our relationship into. It's not a dialogue. We don't linger long enough to actually allow God to speak to us and for us to hear. Which is why when he does speak, we're like, oh no, that was just me, I think. We aren't even familiar with the voice of God because we've never slowed down to even listen. Y'all with me? What about this? And this wrecked me about a year ago. I went on a Daniel's fast at the beginning of the year. I was like, God, I don't want to consecrate. I want to set this year apart. I'm going to start this year like this. I'm going to do a Daniel's fast for full 30 days. 
and had like my agenda written down, went into it, like journaled, had all my stuff. God, this is what I'm believing for. I'm full of faith, whatever. Two weeks in, great. I finally got through the caffeine headaches. That's a miracle of itself. I feel like Lazarus right now, right? I'm finally surviving. It's okay. I'm pushing through. And I'm still have like these, yeah. I'm going through moments where I'm like, God, coffee, God, coffee. I could hear so much better. Three weeks in, nothing. Four weeks in, nothing. I'm in like the last two days of this fast, and I'm like, God, I have all these things. Like, I haven't done a 30-day fast for ages. Like, see if I'll ever do one again. You ever do that? Whoops. Last time I'll ever do this, God, because you didn't even show up. And once I actually shut my mouth, he said to me as a loving father, said, Craig, what if this was simply just about you and me? What if this entire month that you set aside to fast and to seek me and to honor me was an offering or a gift that you were giving me? Ever since then, it's really challenged my mindset going into things with God because I usually have an agenda Sorry, I'm probably one of the few. But I would have an agenda going into these things with God and then I'm, I stopped myself in my track because that was a month of eating like what? Twigs and berries and nuts and stuff like that, right? Right? So I remember this. But then I remember God saying, what if, it would, what if you just did it as an offering to me, as a gift, this time? Your sacrifice, like, that's great, son. I see your sacrifice. I think it's beautiful. But what if if your sacrifice wasn't to see me move miraculously? What if your sacrifice was just sacrifice that you wanted to give to me because you actually love me? What if our prayer life was less agenda-driven and more sacrificial? Because we're in a society where, let's be real, we consult people far more than we consult God. And we place more value on that. If something arises, we go straight to everybody else or social media or to a podcast or whoever it may be, right? That's the authority in our lives. When like, guess what? God doesn't need you to hear from a third party. God wants you to hear directly from him. Amen? God wants to speak to you. God wants to consult you. Like he wants to speak to you. He wants to give you direction. But you're looking everywhere else trying to find him in every little direction. And yes, he may show up. But why get all the barriers in this place? And why start to rely on third party when you got a direct connection? God who created the heavens and the earth and has given you his spirit wants to speak to you. Wants to spend time with you. But God, I'm going to listen to this podcast for you. He's like, ditch the phone, ditch the podcast, sit your butt down, and let's just be together. Exodus chapter 33. I'm going to invite the worship team on up. Exodus 33, I actually spoke about this a few weeks back in behind the scenes with Moses' just the value that he placed on being in the presence of God. It was beautiful in his prayer life, right? There's a tent of meeting where he had this tent put together and he would go out to this tent on the outside of their camp and he would meet God. 
And God would manifest and show up as a literal, like a cloud of smoke over this tent, and it meant that the presence of God was there with him. Scripture actually tells us that this is where the Lord met Moses, and he spoke to him face to face, as one friend speaks to another. Now, I wish that I could be like, you know, a biblical scholar and tell you I caught this when I preached to you, you know, this sermon a month ago, but I totally missed it. And I tell you what, I was so grateful that God, when I lingered in this passage, gave me fresh eyes and I saw something I'd never seen before. At the very end, it says, after it talks about Jesus or God speaking to him face to face, like one friend speaks to another, it says that Moses went back to the camp. But then his young age, Joshua, stayed. And of course, a lot of people, when they mention it in sermons, they say, well, Joshua is guarding the tent because they don't want anyone to go into the presence of God. Joshua was lingering. Joshua was learning from Moses, but he saw, he's like, I want to sit in the presence of God just like Moses is doing. So even if I'm not going to go in this tent, I'm going to stand right by here and I'm not leaving this place because God is here. How many times has that happened to us when we encounter God, but then we're out the door? On a Sunday, we encounter God in worship, but then we're off to lunch and doing our things when like, God's just saying, just sit for a moment. Enjoy this moment. Linger in this moment. Linger in this moment. I really believe that there's moments that we walk away from when we don't linger long enough that actually hinders God finishing what he wanted to do in us because we're too quick and we just want to bounce and get out the door. God's like, I'm here. I want to do something miraculous in you. I want to do something in you that you've never even read about before. I want to speak to you in ways that like when you read the Psalms and hear how I spoke to David, that's the kind of relationship I want with you. But you keep walking away. Linger. Linger. Wait a bit longer. Finally, in the last area would be is to linger in worship. Now in Luke chapter 2, there's this prophet Anna, prophetess, I just call her prophet. We don't have to put, she was a legit prophet, Anna. Scripture says she was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after being married, but then was a widow until the age of 84. This woman, Scripture literally says she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Talking about lingering and living a life of rhythm. She went through traumatic loss. And mind you, she's a prophet. God speaks through her and to her frequently. She's a mouthpiece for God during these times. But she was going through it. But she said, you know what? I know you're here and I'm not going to leave this place. Because what you have for me is far better than anything that's outside of these walls. And I want more of it. So much more that I'm going to stay here day and night and I'm going to worship you 
because you deserve it regardless of trauma, regardless of tragedy, regardless of circumstance of what I'm experiencing. You deserve the glory. You deserve my worship because you are still good. You are still God. And what do you know? Mary and Joseph come and stroll along and bring this little baby Jesus in there. And this woman, Anna, this prophet who's been through the ringer, but has such a beautiful heart of worship and has lingered in God's house worshiping him, gets to welcome the Messiah into the world. What a gift. What a gift. Church, my prayer is that you'll start to create these spaces of silence. Break away from the demanding pace of life. And like we're going to do right now, I want to encourage you to linger and enter in to the unforced rhythms of grace.